Hey, good morning and welcome to Faith on Hill's online Sunday service. Uh, Faith on Hill is a church in Milwaukee. We meet every Sunday morning in person and online at 10.30 a.m. as we study the Bible together. Uh, with the new tier-based public health guidelines that we have, we anticipate that unless there is a full lockdown, which uh, I don't see coming, but you never know. But unless that happens, we anticipate that we will be able to continue in-person meetings on Sunday mornings uh, through the rest of the pandemic. That's our hope. Uh, but we work hard to provide a high-quality online experience uh, if you are unable to join us, if you don't feel safe being out in public, or if you aren't feeling good. We encourage everyone, even though we have in-person services, uh, if you're just not feeling good, oh, it's just allergies, uh, stay home. We have the, the message online, and we are happy to see you. So uh, if you are with us this morning, whether you are with us on our Facebook page or you are over at faithonhill.com, just in the chat say hello, and uh, we'd love to know that you're here with us. If you are watching on the Facebook page, um, I will say that the best viewing experience and interaction experience is over at faithonhill.com. Now, um, as far as uh, announcements go, this is uh, the second to last week of this current sermon series, and then uh, we'll have Christmas Sunday. Also, uh, the 20-minute Bible study has new episodes coming out every Thursday. So that's a podcast that we do. And um, it's just going through the Bible and there's a 20 minute timer. So if you think that this sermon goes a little long, uh, we do a Bible study that we, we put out uh, that has a, a literal timer clock on it. And so you're guaranteed that's how long it's going to be. Uh, we have it on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, in an audio format. And uh, we also put a video version on our Facebook page as well. And we also have an audio version of, of this sermon. Uh, if you go to Apple Music or Spotify and search Faith on Hill, you'll find the audio version of this if that works better for you as well. Well, today is the end of the story, kind of. We've been doing a series of messages called The Story, and we've been telling the stories of the Christian faith, uh, the stories that we tell, the story that God tells, and the stories that we actually live by. We've talked about things like God and humanity and the Bible and Satan and the two covenants. Well, this week we're talking about the end of the world. And then next week we'll tell the story of Christmas. But, but this week we're talking about the end of the story, the end of the world. Did you know, this number surprised me because I thought it would be lower, but 41% of Americans, not American Christians, not of evangelicals, not of a certain type of Christian, but 41% of Americans believe that Jesus is coming back and that it will likely be in the next 50 years. And that was from uh, the Pew Research Group. So it's not just me making this up or it's not just from uh, raptureblog.com, right? It's from the Pew Research Group. And that is the story that we tell. This idea that Jesus is coming back is, it's not the majority view of Americans, but it is a widely held view among Americans. Now, among either secularist Americans or Americans who are very um, 
hesitant or even concerned about uh, evangelical Christianity. They, they might themselves identify as Christian uh, or might identify as spiritual or religious, but they have concern about Protestant evangelical Christianity, whatever that means for them. There is a concern about what they call apocalyptic Christians. And there is a concern that when it comes to the end of the world and this 41% who believe that Jesus is coming back in the next 50 years, that these apocalyptic Christians are trying to shape public policy based on what they call the rapture myth. And that's from a Rolling Stone article from this year. And, and the idea is what you do is you find somebody who is uh, in government, usually a Republican, outspoken in their personal religious beliefs, and then you try to equate um, the Left Behind book series or uh, some uh, YouTube preacher, and then they say, uh, and obviously they believe everything from that, and they're trying to shape U.S. public policy uh, because they believe that uh, the rapture is coming. Others say, yeah, the rapture is coming. Jesus is happening. And if you don't know what the rapture is, don't worry. I'm going to explain it in a minute. But they say, yes, Jesus is coming back. And here's our end time chart for everything. And maybe you've experienced that. Uh, I grew up in a church that was very, very focused on the end of the world. I grew up in a church that talked about Jesus coming back all the time, talked about the rapture of the church all the time. The rapture of the church is this idea that before God's final judgment, that the, the church, those true believers who are alive on the earth at that time, will be caught up and we will meet Jesus and, and go to heaven and be removed from that final judgment of God. And so I grew up in a church like that, and maybe you did too. I had a friend who his dad would tell everybody he could about the rapture. Never told anyone how to have their sins forgiven. Never told anyone that Jesus loved them. Never told anyone um, that, that God has made a way uh, for a right relationship with him. Never told anyone about the hope of victory in this life through the work of the Holy Spirit. Never told anyone about any of that. Just wanted to talk about the rapture, about the second coming of Jesus. And he told me that now in his 30s, he said, I just can't. The moment somebody starts talking about the end times or Bible prophecy or whatever you want to call it, the moment somebody starts talking about that, I just check out. Because I, I grew up in a home and a church that had such an emphasis on it that I, I just can't handle it. And I get that. Maybe you grew up in a church that never talked about the, the end times, never talked about Bible prophecy. Bible prophecy is actually a huge part of the Bible. And there's disagreement about what percentage of the, the Bible is, is prophetic, um, because sometimes there's an outright prophecy and then sometimes there's a psalm and you might not have thought it was prophetic until Jesus or Peter or Paul or John or one of the apostles, you know, quoted it and said, this is a prophecy. But the Bible is full of prophecy. And you read through the Gospels. Jesus talked about the end of the world. You read through the epistles. Peter and Paul and John and Jude all talked about it. It's, it's kind of this big deal. But he said, no, nah, I just check out. But some Christians don't ever want to talk about it. Charles Spurgeon was a preacher in London a couple hundred years ago. 
And he was the most well-known preacher of his age in the English-speaking world. You know, like you think about who the most well-known preachers in our day are, you know, Rick Warren or Joel Osteen or uh, Andy Stanley or, or um, Charles Stanley, you know, you had two generations of that. Uh, whoever it is, you know, Judas Smith or whoever it is you think of is like the most well-known. That was Charles Spurgeon. Spurgeon had no interest. It's, it's funny, I have um, some Bible commentaries from him. And when you get to parts about, uh, you know, prophecy or the end times, he's just like, yeah, I don't care doesn't matter. That, that was his take on it. So maybe you grew up in a church like that. You have no framework for this massive part of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. There are whole books of the Bible that are just prophecy. And you never talked about it. Wherever you're coming from, I don't want to assume anything. Um, but there are these different stories that we tell. Some people, that's all they want to talk about is Bible prophecy. Some people never want to talk about it. Some people think Bible prophecy is terrible. Some people think it's like the best thing ever. That's the stories that we tell. And I think you might have noticed as we've gone through this series that the stories that we tell are often complex and often conflicting. But what's the story that God tells? Well, first of all, the Bible is clear in its proclamation that Jesus is coming back. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus and his disciples leave Jerusalem and go outside the city. Now, Jesus had risen from the dead, and he was seen by over 500 eyewitnesses, and this was about 40 days after his resurrection. So, Palm Sunday, Good Friday, Easter Sunday morning, this is 40 days later. And he's walking with his disciples and some of his other followers. And they go out to a hill across from Jerusalem. And he's talking with them. And he gives them their instructions. I quote Acts chapter 1 verse 8 a lot. You will be my witness in Judea and Jerusalem to the ends of the world. And then it says, all of a sudden he ascended into the clouds. Now, what was going on there was that Jesus told his disciples, I'm going to go away and that he is now seated at the right hand of God, the father waiting for that final moment or era where he will come back and he will establish his rule on this earth. Now I think Jesus physically flew so that the disciples would understand that he had physically left this earth. Because if you read the Gospels, after Jesus' resurrection, he kind of appears and disappears at random a little bit. And I believe that what's going on is Jesus was making it clear, I've left, and I'm sending the Holy Spirit for you to do your work on this earth until I return. And while they are standing there, and I can't prove it, I can't prove it, but I believe it with every fiber of my being that you're standing there, you're talking to Jesus. And then all of a sudden he, he just begins to float, fly up into the air, into the clouds. And I've, I've always been curious. Did Jesus say, all right, I'm going now. Or did he just, he finished a sentence and then he just started. We don't know, but I, I fully believe that this happened, that as he ascended, his disciples just started going, 
Do you see that? Yep. He's flying. Yep. Think he's coming back down? Don't know. He's in the clouds now. I can't see him anymore. Nope. And they just stood there with their mouths hanging open to the point where it says in Acts chapter 1, verse 11, that two men appeared wearing white, and that's like Bible code for uh, these guys are angels. And so these angels appear, and they said, what are you doing? Why are you standing here? Jesus told you to go to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit. And so they're standing there. And these guys come up and they say, what are you doing? And they go, Jesus floated in the clouds. And they're like, yes, he told you he was leaving. Now go to Jerusalem like he told you. So they go back to Jerusalem. But they, these two angels said that in the same way that Jesus left, he will return. That Jesus is coming back. So the idea, one of the big stories that God tells us is that this world is not just going to go on and on and on. There's going to come a point. We are right now in this age of grace where God is giving humanity the opportunity to repent, the opportunity to cry out for forgiveness, the opportunity to experience the power of God in their lives. But there's going to come a point where God's going to say, that's it. No more. The wickedness of this world, the evil of this world cannot be allowed to continue. And we don't have to look far to see examples of it. Human trafficking, corruption, war, injustice, racism, uh, all of these things that we see in our world, it is not hard for us to understand. In fact, some, some ways you could say it's harder for us to understand why God hasn't yet come back. But in his mercy, he continues for this time to allow people to repent. So God says there is coming a time where he will say no more and Jesus will return and establish his kingdom on this earth. Another story, though, that God tells is this. You might remember Abraham. Abraham was way back at the beginning of the Bible. And he was this guy that God called out of obscurity and said, Hey, Abraham, you don't have any kids, and you and your wife are way too old to have kids. But I am going to establish you and make you a great nation, and your descendants will be so numerous that they cannot be counted. And Abraham wasn't just the father of the Jewish people, but he was the father of many other nations as well, even though he had never had a child at that point. But God called him and blessed him and all this. Well, one day, God visits Abraham and he says, hey, Abraham, I'm going to destroy the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Their wickedness needs to be stopped. And everybody thinks Sodom and Gomorrah's only sin was, was homosexuality, and that's not true at all. Violence, evil. There were, there were all kinds of things going on there. But God says, I'm going to destroy this city. It's time. And Abraham says, but you don't destroy the righteous with the wicked. And God doesn't disagree with him. And so Abraham, whose nephew Lot lived in Sodom, said, 
God, if you find like 50 righteous people, will you destroy the city? And God says, no, I won't. I won't destroy the city. And he starts, you know, negotiating. Hey, what about 40 righteous people? And nope, if there's 40 righteous people, you know, what about 10 righteous people? If there's 10 righteous people, I will not destroy the city. And the only ones to escape was Lot and his two daughters. And God sent two angels and pulled them out of the city. And then he destroyed it. But the, but the thing isn't about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. That's not what we're thinking about right now. The story that God tells, and this is why I'm referencing Genesis to get to the end of the world, is that he does not judge the righteous with the wicked. So yes, is there a coming judgment? Is there coming a time where God says, no more, the, the wickedness of this world must stop. Does that mean that if you are a Christian and you are alive at that moment, that God will then judge you for the sin of the world, even though you've been forgiven? I do not believe that is the case. I'm going to tell you this truthfully. I do not care about a person's opinion about the end times. Do you believe that the rapture is going to happen? Do you not? Don't care. Are you pre, post, or mid-tribulation in your view of the rapture? Don't care. Are you amillennial? Don't care. Do you not know what any of those words mean? Totally fine. Those aren't words I think you need to know. I don't want to fight. And sometimes Christians like to fight about things because people like to fight about things and Christians are people. And so then this, this is one people will fight about and they will absolutely get super smug, super smug. You know, if you, if you believe the rapture is going to happen, if you don't believe the rapture is going to happen, but you get really smug about your view, I don't want to fight. This is the one thing I will fight about, that God does not judge the righteous with the wicked. Now, how am I made righteous? How are you made righteous? It has nothing to do with me. My goodness, your goodness, is like filthy rags compared to God's goodness. That, that I could bring all of the good deeds I've ever done, and that you could bring all the good deeds you've ever done, and we are so tainted and stained and, and, and scarred by, by our sin that we bring all of these good deeds and, and they are just trash compared to the goodness of God. But God has put Jesus's goodness on you. If you are a Christian, God has said you are, your sins are wiped away. They're not just covered up. They are destroyed. And Jesus's goodness, Jesus's holiness has been placed on us. And that's how God sees us. So we stand right and righteous and holy before God because of Jesus through faith. God does not judge the righteous with the wicked. That's the thing I will fight about. That's the thing I will, I will just absolutely stand. That's the hill I die on. If you think that God is still angry with you, that's not the story God tells. 
if you think that God has some judgment left for you, because certainly I've been so bad that I know Jesus has forgiven my sins and I'll get to go to heaven, but I've, I've just been so bad that there still has to be some kind of punishment left. I, I've known people who believe that to get to heaven, you're going to have to go through some kind of painful ordeal. It's kind of like purgatory, right? I, I, I will sit in sort of like the Diet Coke of hell, and then at some point, that'll be enough, and then I get to go to heaven. But that's adding something. That's like saying Jesus isn't enough, that what Jesus did on the cross isn't enough. The Bible says that God does not judge the righteous with the wicked. What the Bible does say in in 1 Thessalonians 5 is that we have not been appointed to wrath. And what that means is, if you're a Christian, if you have a saving faith in Jesus, then your destiny is not to experience the wrath of God because that was taken by Jesus on the cross. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 says this. Genesis 18, verse 25 says this. God does not judge the righteous with the wicked and the righteous have not been appointed to wrath. So we have this coming judgment. All throughout the Bible, but especially in the Old Testament, it's called the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. And you'll, you'll read in the Old Testament, the prophets say, you know, the day of the Lord is coming. The great and terrible day of the Lord is coming. And that's either a hopeful or a terrible thing, depending on who Jesus is to you. Yes, this world is going to end. There comes a point where God's going to say, it's not going to continue like this. All of our our literature and our fiction and even our nonfiction at times believes in a future that's just more advanced, right? But we believe that this world will continue on until our sun burns out and then the universe will just continue on. What the Bible says is, no, there's going to come a point where God, the creator of all of these things says, that's it. And it's hopeful if you're in Christ, that Hope is that, you know what? This world of misery and darkness, it's going to end. No more war, no more famine, no more corruption, no more abuse. Think about all of the terrible things that we know go on in this world. I mean, there's terrible things all over the world, but just think about our community. We know, we know that there is abuse happening, that that in homes, in our community, in our neighborhoods, even maybe our neighbors, even maybe you, that there's abuse happening, there's substance abuse happening, there's physical abuse happening, and there's neglect happening. We know that in our community, there's human trafficking happening. We know that in our community, there's injustice happening. We know in our community, there's immorality happening. All of these things, there's going to come a point where God says, no more. For me, that's hopeful. That no one will have to experience this. And, and, and you look around and you see people that just seem to get away with things. They seem to get away with, with crimes and with sin. And you, you look and you're just so frustrated, like, why are they getting away with this? They won't. There is coming a judgment. That is hopeful if you're in Christ, but it's terrible if you're not. I'm not saying something that's popular. I'm not saying something that's like, ooh, that's fun to talk about. But I'm telling the truth. And I'd rather tell you the truth than make up something that sounds nice, but in the end it kills you.
Galatians chapter 5, verse 5, Joel chapter 2, verse 31 are both verses to check out, talking about how, you know what, the day of the Lord is coming, but it's a, it's a hope for us. But if you're not in Christ, you, you, you are warned this is the consequences for rejecting Jesus. Now, each week we've asked, hey, what story do we live by? Because there's the story that we tell, and there's the story God tells, but that doesn't mean that it's the story we live by. Haven't you found that's to be true? That there are people who tell a story either about themselves or about the world around them, and then they live by something totally different. They talk a big talk, but the, the walk that they walk is different. And, or they'll say, hey, this is what God says, but then their life doesn't match up. What story do we actually live by? I actually think we have three options to live in response to this truth. That Jesus is coming back. That God will not judge the righteous with the wicked. And the day of the Lord is a terrible thing if you are not in Christ. I think there's three options in how you can live in response to that. First is apathy. You can just live in apathy. And both Christians and non-Christians do this. There are non-Christians who hear this warning and they say, eh. And I'm not saying that you have to believe right now. I'm saying consider the possibility. Give some thought to it. For Christians, there are Christians that just go, hmm, because we're more concerned with the cares and concerns of this world than the reality of eternity. So some people choose to live in apathy. Some people choose to live in myopathy. Now, myopathy is this. If you go to the eye doctor and they say that your vision is going myopic, what that means is it's narrowing. That your eye's ability to see wide and far is being reduced. And and if somebody is, is myopic in their vision, they can only see little bits and it gets tinier and tinier. I believe this happens too when it comes to the end of the world, right? That people get myopic, especially Christians sometimes. Like all they want to talk about is, you know, I've got my, well, first, the the mark of the beast, and then I'm going to figure out what 666 means. It's like, that's not the point. You focus in on some narrow part of Bible prophecy or the end times, and you forget the big picture, which is this, that Jesus Christ died to save sinners. That's what matters. The, the end of the world is not about, you know, figuring out the exact timeline of the book of Revelations. The, the end of the world is about Jesus Christ. The book is called the Revelation of Jesus Christ. It is about him. And if we only see these little parts, the number of the beast or the rapture or whatever, then we miss the big point, which is Jesus. And that leads to the third option, anticipation. As a Christian, if I'm thinking rightly and understanding rightly and responding rightly, then knowing that Jesus is coming back should lead to anticipation. I'm excited. I want to see this happen because I know that whatever God has for me is better. If God's bringing change, then it's better. If God is going to stop how things are and establish a new thing, it will be better. And that brings anticipation. So in anticipation, you know, someone once said that Christians need to be the welcoming team and not the party planning committee. There's some churches and some Christians that's all they want to do is focus on the end of the world. No, I want to focus on Jesus and the mission that he's given me here because the Bible says, you know what, you got to be ready and, and be at work because we don't know when Jesus is coming back. 
So you know what? I want to be busy about my master's work and the mission that he's given us. And when he comes, I'm on the welcoming committee. Woo! Excited. But I'm not planning. <laughs> that's, some, that's somebody else's job. We're proclaimers of hope and truth. All right, we're coming into the season of hope is what they say. We are proclaiming true hope. And there is salvation from the coming judgment. That is a message of hope. There is a coming judgment, and that can be a message of hope. Because if you look around a world that is broken, where injustice seems to reign, we have a message that says justice is coming. The question is, has your judgment been settled? And if we are Christians, if, if Jesus has cleansed us of sin and put his righteousness on us, then our judgment has been settled, not because of anything that we've done to deserve it, but because of everything Jesus has done. And that same offer is to all people. We're proclaimers of hope and truth. Now, uh, for our in-person service, I have this sort of a cheat sheet because I, I recognize that I'm talking more like big picture kind of stuff and there's maybe actual questions that you have about the end times. Totally fine. If you have questions about the end times, adam at faithonhill.com. Love answering questions. Um, I'm also going to post this cheat sheet of uh, end times things uh, on our website as a blog post. So um, hopefully you'll find that interesting if that's uh, something that interests you. But like I said, the thing I want to focus on is this, that Jesus loves people, that Jesus came to rescue people, that when Jesus died on the cross, he paid the penalty, the justice for all wickedness was met by his death. And if any of person has received that grace and that pardon from sin from God through Jesus, that there is no judgment left for you. That when we say judgment day is coming, that judgment day is not for you. Your judgment was taken on the cross. And we can live in that great hope, the glorious coming day of the Lord.